If you're considering a career in medicine, this show is for you. I'm going to be talking to a variety of healthcare professionals who are going to share the reality of what it takes to have a successful career in medicine. The good, the bad, the inspiring, the funny. My name is Michelle Nesky. I'm a physician assistant and your host about to bring you Beyond the Scope. If you've done research into applying to physician assistant school, you know how crazy it is with all the different requirements, programs out there, and how do you choose which one is best for you? Well, luckily, two of my friends and PAs created an amazing platform that you can do this all in one place called My PA Box. Research schools by state, track your hours, look up all the requirements literally in one spot at mypabox.com. You can also use their PA school match to enter in all your demographic information, your GPA, whether or not you took the GRE or PA CAT, and filter for schools that would be the best fit for you. You guys, this has been game changing for pre-PAs and I use it all the time with my clients. You can go ahead and get a one-year subscription. And because you're listening to this podcast, if you use PoshPA15, you can get 15% off your one-year subscription. You will not regret this. If you are a pre-PA, it will sort things out so much for you and just make it easier to do the research on the programs that are the best fit for you. So check them out, mypabox.com. Hey everybody, it's Michelle. I'm here with Amanda Guarini, otherwise known as the Resume RX. She is a nurse practitioner and owner of the Resume RX, and she helps um, nursing professionals land their dream job, regardless of their experience, uh, by helping them with their resume and more. Um, so I'm really excited to have her on Beyond the Scope today. She's also a mom of three girls, and we're going to talk a little bit about how she decided to be an NP, but then really about um, what she's passionate about doing with her business and helping, um, you know, new nursing professionals, professionals go and get that job that they really want and be able to negotiate, um, talk about tips for resume building, um, and really give us some good information. So thank you, Amanda, for being here. Oh, of course. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So how long have you been a nurse practitioner? I have been an NP since 2011. So about nine years as of recording time. Okay. Awesome. And so what kind of puts you on the nurse practitioner path? Yeah. So I actually, um, I am a non-traditional NP, um, person, I guess you could say. So I, (laughs) well, I eventually became a nurse first because that's of course required. I had bachelor's degrees in other fields first. Mm -hmm. So I almost feel like my path was similar to a lot of PAs path in Mm -hmm. that they, uh, in that I was able to kind of explore a particular field that wasn't medicine um, Mm -hmm. before I made that decision. So I actually have undergraduate degrees in violin performance and Italian literature, which I know are completely unrelated to the sciences. (laughs) But uh, basically it was my time to explore my hobbies and cultivate those things before I made the big decision of what I wanted to do with my life. And um, when I made that decision, I felt drawn to nursing. I come from a family of nurses. Mm -hmm. And so I was looking for ways that I could become an NP because I knew when I made the decision that that was my ultimate goal. And I found that there were lots of master's entry 
nurse practitioner programs, which seemed to be designed for people exactly like me. So that is why I made that decision. So I applied to some programs. I got into all the ones I applied to and made a choice and dove right in. That's awesome. And so, um, what, you know, what are you a family nurse practitioner? Are you, um, I, um, I am adult and women's health. Oh, nice. So, okay. Yes. So my, um, I originally wanted to do exclusively women's health or midwifery. I had a tough time deciding. Yeah. And the program I chose fortunately did a dual program in adult and women's health. And that turned out to be advantageous because when I graduated and where I moved, there were not many women's health jobs. So I was able yeah. to kind of lean on my adult okay. experience. So. Yeah, that's great. And so in terms of clinical practice, how much are you working now? So at this moment, I am not working clinically at all. Okay. Um, I had my youngest daughter mm-hmm. uh, almost a year ago. And when she was born, I made the decision to return to clinical practice per diem. I've worked in emergency medicine for mm-hmm. seven years. It lends itself really well for per diem work. Sure. And basically I signed a contract in January or February to start. Mm-hmm. And I live right outside of New York City. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and by the time my credentialing went through, it was April in New York City, 2020, yeah. in the height of the COVID pandemic. And yeah. um, ultimately I had to make some very tough decisions. I no longer had childcare for my kids. Right. Yeah. Um, I couldn't figure out how to safely self-isolate. So long story short, I had to very unfortunately let that job go. So I've decided to hold off until the situation is a little bit more stable. Yeah. 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 I agree. I mean, I also lost my childcare and, you know, I work three days a week now. Um, but even that, you know, was really challenging. And, um, so, you know, I'm definitely home more than I was before, um, (laughs) trying to do some telemedicine, which is very challenging. Um, and so, uh, you know, it's nice to be able to have, you know, some flexibility, but then also you have your own business. So tell us a little bit about the resume RX and how you, um, started that business. Sure. So two years ago, I started the business. It was truly a nap time hustle for me. I was working part-time and wanted to figure out a way I could make a little bit more money, help pay off my student loans, and and just focus my energy on something different. So I started writing resumes for other nurses and other nurse practitioners. It was a skill that I realized that I had. It was a pain that I realized other people had. So (laughs) I, um, I decided to see if people would really pay for it? And could I turn it into a business? And long story short, it has evolved into quite a successful business. Um, So I, now I not only do a little bit of writing resumes for people, but I also take more of an educational approach, whereas I provide the tools for people to write their own resumes. Um, So I have templates and and courses, self-study programs for that. And it's so much more than the resume for me. It's so much more, you know, the entire personal brand and the entire career trajectory. So I, you know, really like to educate and put that all together Together. and help empower people to really, um, to really go after what they want and to do so confidently. That's awesome. So had you done any resume you know, building for yourself or experience any challenges that made you kind of want to go into this area? So it was always something that actually came quite 
easily to me, but I guess I didn't realize I was a little too close to it to realize that I was good at it. And one day I was in one of the nurse practitioner Facebook groups Mm -hmm. and I saw someone asking for help for that with their resume. And so I posted a picture of mine and offered some advice and uh, I got a really big response about that. And so I decided to test the idea a little bit once I realized that people really struggled with it. So it was more of something that I was good at that I just at one point figured out that other people needed help with it. And I realized that that was where I could kind of sneak in and help. Yeah. So what areas do you feel like people struggle with the most? So you're obviously working with a lot of nursing professionals. um, And so where do you feel that people had the most difficulty with their resume? Yeah. So some of it is just um, knowing where to start. A lot of nurses and NPs don't necessarily get any dedicated Um, time in school to career preparation, or it's just a very, very brief moment in time where they're shown what a resume should look like. So a lot of it is figuring out what, or rather how to put their passions down on paper and, and use a document to explain who they are, what they stand for and what they're interested in Mm -hmm. professionally. And that's usually the biggest struggle is just knowing how to actually have that come across because I find that once people, for the majority of people, once people get interviews and they can be face to face, you can kind of warm up and it isn't, it isn't as bad, even though you may dread it going into it, the actual interviewing isn't as bad. Um, but it's a matter of figuring out the right steps to brand yourself appropriately on paper and also apply to the right positions as opposed to applying to every position. Yes. So, um, that's kind of the thing that I, so with working with a lot of pre-PAs who, you know, have resumes from jobs and things, it's a little bit different. And then, you know, having myself reviewed a lot of resumes for people applying for jobs, there are things that, you know, I think are great, you know, especially when you see a good, a good resume and it's hard to explain exactly what that means, um, versus, you know, something that seems really long or just not to the point, or there's some gaps and and things like that. So, um, you know, how do you sort of, what kind of structure do you give to people that you're working with to start with, you know, just a basic resume? So, you know, the actual structure I usually recommend starting with some sort of summary or professional profile, which is really that highlight reel um, or elevator pitch, I kind of like to call it, where you're, you know, showcasing your best and brightest moments and really injecting your story and your personality. Um, And then outlining, if you're a new graduate, outlining your clinical experiences, your educational achievements, your licensure and certifications, any community service or advocacy work that you have. And then, of course, your work experience, which for many new graduates ends up being nothing, which I think is totally fine as long as you have other elements of your story that you can put onto paper. So either causes you've volunteered with or groups or organizations that you were a leader in in school, um, that type of thing. Yeah. I mean, I feel like, you know, for for a PA school application, you know, I usually tell people to leave out that statement, you know, at first, but if you're applying for a job, I think that's a really nice thing to have right under your name, you know, so people kind of can get a little snapshot of who you are and then your education. But for new graduates, I get this question a lot. Um, Sometimes they spend a lot of space 
going through every single rotation and kind of what they did because they don't have a lot of work experience. I usually tend to tell people to kind of scale it down a little bit. How do you kind of handle that? I, you know, I think it depends on the job you're applying for, you know, and maybe highlight those rotations rather than the uh, every single one. How do you handle that? Absolutely. I, I totally agree. Um, for nurse practitioners, we tend to have fewer number of rotations mm -hmm. uh, because we spend longer in like Each one, uh, yeah. larger specialty areas. So for that, uh, I usually recommend that they include the pertinent details. And then I usually like to say, if you need or want to include the details of the specific rotations, mm -hmm. do so in a paragraph underneath all the rotations and say something like clinical competencies include, you know, whatever, like the things that you practiced or experienced. Right. Because for the most part, clinical experiences should be somewhat standard. You know, yes. you should be learning the assessment process mm -hmm. and you should be learning differential building and uh, management of your plan, that type of thing. So what I usually say is if you've had anything that's very pertinent to the job that you're applying or anything that's out of the ordinary that your average nurse practitioner wouldn't have experienced in school, then that's a good opportunity to call that out mm -hmm. somewhere. Um, but to be honest, for the majority of resumes that I write or review, mm -hmm. um, there's not a lot of detail about the rotations themselves unless right. it's something above and beyond. Okay. And so when you're, so I think a lot of the fears that new graduates have are because they don't have work experience, what's going to make their resume stand out that they would get called for an interview over somebody that does have some experience? Yeah. So I think that that's where the summary can be helpful mm -hmm. as well as the cover letter or whatever type of email, however you're reaching out and making that connection, because that's the opportunity to inject the storytelling and to really kind of emit your personal brand a little bit better. So that's the opportunity where you could actually relate a story of a patient you cared for as a student or, or an experience before you went into the field that really made that decision for you. So I think yeah. those elements are really important as well as the extras, like what type of organizations are you involved with? Are you spending your time, your unpaid time doing anything else related to your profession? Are you volunteering? Um, I think that that can speak volumes about the type of person you are. So yeah. that is definitely, if that's experience that you have, I would certainly make sure to include it and even lead with it if it's really yeah. important to you. So in the cover letter, so we sort of mentioned that here, um, I've seen sort of kind of just your standard, you know, cover letter. Um, and then I've seen ones that are, are more of a story. Um, and so do you recommend it being, you know, sort of a little bit more, you know, some people will say professional. I, I agree, but also just like straight to the point, like I'm interested in this position, you know, here are my qualifications. I'd love to hear from you or would you recommend something more personal? I prefer the more personal. I definitely include the more personal. I, I recommend opening with some sort of hook that either explains a personal story or showcases your passion in some way. Um, and I think in some senses too, you have to read the room as in, you know, who, what job are you applying to? Are you sending an email to uh, an office that you're familiar with that doesn't have a job posting, but you want to show them, 
you know, why they should consider hiring you, you know, that's going to be a different email compared to one that you're sending to one that has, you know, a very explicit job posting with a description Mm -hmm. of what they're looking for, in which case you want to make sure that you can match that description as much as possible in, in your wording. So I definitely think that there are some cases for a more casual letter. Um, but definitely I think the personal one is going to get chosen above the stuffy one any day. So when you're working with clients kind of on their resume, do you find that people are just applying for anything and everything? And are you trying to get, cause I mean, I know the job market is not great right now, you know, in the midst of COVID-19 and we have a lot of new graduates and things like that and struggling to find jobs. Um, And so I understand the impetus to get a job and, you know, but at the same time, I feel like if same as I say for PA school, like if you're not applying to maybe the right jobs, then, then I think you're just a number, you know, in a stack of, of resumes. So how do you kind of guide people to look for things that are, you know, might be a good fit for them? Yeah, I agree with you 100%. And that's one of the biggest mistakes that I see is just applying for anything and everything like Mm -hmm. online, scroll, click, apply, scroll, Mm -hmm. click, apply. And what I actually encourage and teach is to reverse engineer your job search. So decide first what type of job is going to be a good fit for you Mm -hmm. and then assess your community for what types of places are going to have those positions. And then I recommend not relying exclusively on the online job postings. I think that if you find a practice or a hospital or a clinic or whatever that feels like the best fit for you, then you reach out to them regardless of whether they have a job posting. And in my experience and in my clients' experiences, especially with new grads, that has been the most Mm -hmm. successful way to open up the doors because the statistics say that fewer than half, less than half of all um, jobs are filled by online Mm -hmm. applicants. Most of them are filled by referral and word of mouth. So leveraging your connections if you have them. And if you don't, taking a chance and cold calling, cold emailing, Mm -hmm. create a connection where there isn't one. Because ultimately, I think that those people are having the best success because there's less competition. And if you're a new grad, if you're a new grad applying to a job that's been posted for a few days, you're going to be competing with hundreds of applicants, Mm -hmm. many of whom will have experience, especially now when there's been so many provider layoffs. Um, I'm not sure if PAs are experiencing the same thing, but I assume that you are, but yeah, Yeah. NP furloughs and layoffs are, are happening right now. Yeah. And that, that's happened, you know, to many PAs in our profession as well. I can tell you that the only job I ever got from an online search was my first oncology job. The rest of the jobs that I've gotten, including my first job as a PA was word of, you know, from a rotation. And then um, when I moved to Miami with my husband for his residency, that job I got through somebody that I knew in Connecticut that knew somebody in Miami that knew somebody here, you know? And so, and then, um, I wasn't that happy at that job. And so I started looking online and found this oncology posting. That is the only job I really applied to online. That was, you know, 13 years ago, the I've moved three times and every job that I've had has been all connections and word of mouth. So obviously that's, different as you get more experience. But at the same time, even as a new grad, like 
just connecting with people, you know, wherever you can. I think you're so right because sometimes by the time the job gets posted, it's already filled. Yes. And sometimes they post it and they already had someone in mind and they just had to post it, you know, legally. I think that's something that people don't really know is that they have to post it yet. They already have somebody they know. And so, you know, you apply for it and you never hear anything. And that's because it's already been filled before it even gets up there. And, you know, and that's because of, you know, connections and word of mouth and all of those different things. Um, I also think that like you said, your community, but your state organizations, like getting involved with the local, you know, um, chapters and societies and things like that. I mean, that is huge to meet absolutely people, especially as a new grad, you know, go to things. I mean, now obviously everything's online, but like, you know, <laughs> when there were local conferences and things like that, it's just a great place to network, you know, I and, totally agree. Yeah. And, and find the opportunity. And those organizations are doing things online now, so you still can participate. Um, And LinkedIn is still there, and it's still a great place to connect. But to your point, I recently worked with um, a client who knew this was a nurse who he knew that when he graduated from school, he wanted to work in the NICU. Mm -hmm. He was 100% committed. So he joined his local chapter of the nursing organization for women's health and obstetrical and neonatal nurses. He went to every chapter meeting. Mm -hmm. He said after each meeting, he emailed the leaders and thanked them for such a great meeting. Mm -hmm. He made it abundantly clear to everyone that he met (laughs) that he was dead set on a NICU job when he graduated. And when he assessed his community and narrowed it down to the NICUs he wanted to work in, he had people to ask to say, hey, I'm interested. What can you tell me about this organization? Mm -hmm. And long story short, it led to an interview for a job that wasn't posted and he started this week. So right. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it just, you know, it really speaks volumes to that. I find that a lot of the jobs listed on the big sites, particularly like ZipRecruiter and all of those places, it's just, you're up against just so much, you know? And so just scaling it back to the area where you live and community, it just, it's a smaller pool and, I think allows for better success. Now, when you help clients kind of get to their, um, get their resume in and everything like that, are you working with them too on what they should be asking for from a job? Yes. So that's definitely part of the conversation, especially for new graduates who may not have been employed in that role before. So I like to make sure that I'm showing them the things to look for in a job or during an interview that's going to be either a red flag or a green flag, if you will, so that they can work on that intuition of knowing what's going to be a good fit. Because I think that that does, at least for me, I'm kind of an intuitive gut person. And um, so I'm trying to pass that along because I think that they need to know um, the things to ask to make sure that it's a good, that it's a good fit and that, you know, it's going to be a smart decision financially for them Mm -hmm. uh, when they sign a contract or an agreement. What would you say are some of the red flags you tell people to watch out for? Um, So if there's no defined orientation period, or Mm -hmm. if you ask about an orientation period and they look at you and wonder what you're asking about, um, if there's high provider turnover, um, if they're not willing to let you have a shadow shift, Mm -hmm. I think that's super important, especially for providers to have 
even a shadow hour or two mm-hmm. as part of the hiring process before you accept a job mm-hmm. um, or any other conversation either with the office, the other providers or the physician that seems to be, if they don't understand your role as yes. an advanced practice provider, I think that there have certainly been situations where advanced practice providers have been taken advantage of or put in positions of glorified scribes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like to warn people of getting into situations like that because it doesn't usually end well. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. So you talk about the shadow shift. So I, when I had my, my kind of second job when I was in Miami, um, they hired me to work for this job and I was, you know, I needed a job and I was like, okay, you know, this guy seems super nice, met the physician, things seemed a little disorganized. And I was like, yeah, whatever, like, I'm going to go for it. Well, the credentialing process was a disaster. I worked there six months. I never got credentialed. And three months in, the physician told me he was leaving. So oh my gosh. that's when I was like, okay, well, the next job I get, I am spending a day there before I decide to work there. And so when I went to interview at this community oncology practice, they had had one, I think, either NP or PA many years before. Um, it didn't work out because they didn't really know what they were doing. And, you know, it was just not a good fit. And so I really pushed them hard on what they wanted me to do, you know, from that position. Um, I think that it required a lot of education on my, my behalf. Um, but I said also that I wouldn't, wouldn't accept the job unless I spent a half a day there. And that was the best thing I could have ever done. Best thing. You finally, you see like how things are running, how people talk to each other, how, you know, the flow of the clinic is, how the patients are, you know, all of that. And I, when I did that and I just saw how great everybody was, like the rest of it, I was like, I can manage, you know, Mm -hmm. um, I can Mm -hmm. manage that. Um, So I can't say enough, you know, about that too. So I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like buying a house. You you look, you look at listings online Mm -hmm. and you might fall in love with a house because of how it looks online. And then you get there and you drive up and it's on a main road or it's not something that you wanted. And then you walk into the house and the layout's not comfortable. Like you can't gauge those things without actually being there. Yeah. And, um, I think also kind of allowing people to know their value, even new grads, you know, is there anything you tell them specifically that they should be saying to, you know, on a job interview that would help them show their value, even though they're a new graduate? Yeah. So I think it can be really helpful to present an idea or present the fact that you know how you can help the practice mm-hmm. make money, like having an awareness of how the practice business structure works mm-hmm. can be really helpful. So understanding the fact that as an NP or a PA, you are essentially a revenue generating uh, individual and yeah. that is the basis for your salary uh, and understanding that and, and keeping that in mind as you enter those conversations can be really helpful. So something as simple as asking about their orientation period mm-hmm. and making a nod and saying, I understand that you know, productivity is important and it will take time for me because I'm a new graduate. How can we outline you know, a, a scaling up productivity expectation for my first three months or whatever, yeah. whatever it is. And I think, you know, bringing those types of things to the conversation can be helpful because it shows right. that you, 
you know how it works, right? You know, um, so that's definitely something that I encourage. And it's hard because you know, as a, I know, as a PA student, we don't get a lot of education about that. About you know, now I think it's probably a bit different than when I went to school years ago. But I think at that time we didn't learn about billing. We didn't learn about algorithms for building and RVU productivity and what that really means. Um, I kind of learned that, you know, on the job and how to do a lot of education. And I think that, you know, we kind of need to make sure that NPs and PAs really understand that because at the end of the day, whether we like it or not, healthcare is also a business and you need to be, you know, generating revenue. They need to see the value of your work from a monetary standpoint, as well as everything else. So it's just a piece of the pie. Mm -hmm. It's not everything, but if you're somebody that, you know, generates enough revenue to cover your salary and you need some time off for something and you need this or that, they're more likely to be (laughs) a little bit more lenient, you know, with you. Um, But I think just that whole concept of productivity and, covering your cost and all of those different things. It's not just about, you know, I think people get kind of um, focused on volume and saying like, oh, well, you know, I really want to be there to offload some of the patients from the physicians and, you know, which is part, which is right, but you're also generating a lot of revenue for that practice. And so, (laughs) you know, just knowing that you're not just there to offload somebody else, you're there also to see patients, help them and bring in the income as well, um, is an important piece of the puzzle. So if you're a new grad and you know about that and you can talk, ask specifically what that is, I think it helps too. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, I get a lot of questions about, well, if I'm, if I'm not going to be producing at a high volume to start, how can I, how can I justify the salary that I want? Right. And, you know, that's the opportunity to have a conversation and to show that you are, you know, someone who's, a member of a team and agreeable by saying, you know, well, can we revisit this conversation after six months? Can we sit down and have a contract discussion, review my productivity and adjust my salary appropriately? And um, I think that's a conversation that's probably not had enough. You know, everyone, a lot of people will get an offer and assume that that's the only amount that they will ever get paid. And if it's lower than what they want, they'll completely throw it away as opposed to coming back and analyzing it and saying, okay, how can I still make this work if it feels like a good fit of a job? And sometimes that means asking in writing for, you know, a renegotiation after an appropriate period or, right. or negotiating something else that ends up giving money in your pocket that's not actually salary dollars, like time off or, right. you know, vacation time or whatever it is. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think, you know, all of that is really a, everything is negotiable until you sign that, you know, piece of paper. And Definitely. so I feel like, you know, and just making sure that there are, you know, review Um, processes in place, you know, for your professional review, for your professional development, um, and all of that. And just knowing that there's something that's there that you're not going to be kind of out in the woods. I mean, I know that it's not going to be perfect everywhere, but I think if you kind of identify like the red flags, like you said, I think you can avoid, you know, some potentially um, difficult situations where we are being used as scribes, which is just bothers me. So 
Yeah, for sure. Uh, <laughs> um, and so what would you say, um, you know, how often when you're working with your clients, how many jobs do they have to apply to before they actually get a job, would you say? Mm, good question. I would probably say at least at least five to 10 okay. um, to get an interview, I would say. Yeah. If I had to kind of pull numbers out, I would say, you know, five to 10 strategic applications yes. will yeah. get, uh, will get an interview. Yeah. That's amazing. That's because there are, like I said, there are people applying to hundreds of jobs. And so, mm-hmm. you know, just being strategic and I like how you said, you know, reverse engineering your process um, is super helpful. Um, so let's talk for a second about um, Amanda is a mom and obviously a nurse practitioner and now has her own business. So tell us how you kind of manage this all. I mean, what, when do you do, I mean, I, I know I do stuff late at night, pockets of time, like left, right, center. I mean, I don't know. I'm just kind of all over the place. So how do you deal with all of that? Uh, well, pre-pandemic, I, my twins who are four, uh, went mm-hmm. to preschool three full days a week. So I had, you know, just the baby at that time and the baby was little and had, I had good nap time chunks yeah. to yeah. get my work done. Um, now during pandemic, uh, without childcare, it's a little bit more challenging. I am fortunate to have a very supportive spouse and he has been working from home. And basically on a weekly basis, we look at our calendars and we schedule in my blocks of time, which um, two days a week without fail, I get early morning hours. So I don't have to do wake up and breakfast. Mm -hmm. So I get six to 9am two days a week, which is fantastic. Yeah. And then the other days are usually um, chunks of two or three hours either during the day or in the evening. So that is my focused work time. I'm usually multitasking and, you know, doing some things from my phone. Um, And I do have a a team of a couple part-time people who work for me that I couldn't, I couldn't be as successful or put together as I am without their support. So I'm super grateful. That was one of the best business decisions I ever made was Mm -hmm. to um, bring on people to basically duplicate myself and and admit that I didn't have to do everything and that there are actually people who can do things better than I can do them. So they need to do them. (laughs) That just didn't happen to me. I know. (laughs) I mean, I had the same, I mean, pre-pandemic, man, I was like, okay, I got this. Like I have days, you know, she's at school, I'm home. I got this time. I got this. I work. I did this, you know, Monday mornings, Friday mornings, Saturday morning, like, and that was it. And it was now it, it's like sitting down, you know, with Dave and being like, okay, I need this time or finding childcare, you know, for this period yeah. of time and this period of time. And it's been super challenging. Um, but I agree with you finding people that, you know, finally giving. So I don't have a business background. Did you? No, not at all. No. So when you started scaling up and you were like, nope, this is my business. Like I am Amanda, the resume, (laughs) kind of like I am right now with the posh VA. You're like, I'm going to do this because this is me and this is my thing and you know, blah, blah, blah. But then you're, then I found myself being like, what am I, what am I doing? Like I started this to do something fun and different and make another income and you know, all of that, not to like drive myself into a dark hole. (laughs) So Absolutely. It, but it's hard to get to that point where you're like, you know what, I, and think to yourself, you know, no one can do it like I can. That's just not true. 
No, it's definitely not true. And most people can do things better than I can. <laughs> and it's no, just I, a matter no, of admitting I found it. people that are just way better. And I'm like, okay, it's great. You know, same thing, two or three people, you know, and it's really, it's, I'm starting to grow a little bit, which is scary, but fun. So how has that yeah. process been for you? It's been, it's been totally fun. Um, this year, Mm-hmm. So 2020 has definitely been the year of like growth for me. So yeah. um, I found myself earlier in the year, pre-pandemic with a really long wait list for custom yeah. resumes. And someone reached out to me who had, who had seen me, you know, present yeah. in another group and she wrote me an email and she said, Hey, it looks like you were doing a fantastic job, but you have a long wait list for your custom work. Mm-hmm. Is this something that I can help you with? Yeah. And she basically pitched me to help with the resume writing. And she's yeah. like, I have no interest in growing my own business, but I want to, I'm a mom. I want to cut back yeah. on my hours and works and earn some extra money yeah. for my family. And so I trained her over the course of, I don't know, five or six projects. Yeah. And she arguably writes resumes better than I do. So I am, I am minimally, I'm literally supervising at this point, you know, I proofread everything. I give everything my final seal of approval. Um, but that has just been a game changer because, you know, I can't, I can't create more time in my life. And the whole reason why I started this business was not to spend all my time on it. It was to, you know, really gain some of my time back by, earning additional money. And I feel like that's where business owners tend to kind it's of a hard balance. Yeah, yeah, it really, it really is. Yeah. I mean, because I kind of found myself in the same spot and, um, you know, am had a similar thing happen to me. I haven't, you know, we haven't quite got to the place where you are, but my wait list is long. I mean, you can't book an appointment with me right now for three weeks. And that's when I really met in the midst of, like hardcore PA application cycle, you can't get me for two and a half weeks. And I just, I, at that point, I'm like, I, I can't, I'm turning people away, you know, yeah. because I, I, and I hate that, you know, so me too. Yeah, I'm like, I hate saying no, you know, but then again, I can't also be adding people on at night and in the morning because right. that's what I was doing. And I was, I was getting really, really, um, just burned out from it. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa like I started this for a reason. And so I think, you know, it's a good point to everybody that if you are thinking about doing something, you know, on the side, or you come up with something you're passionate, you love, just make sure it stays that way, you know, and, and ask for help and ask people to get on board because you want to have time for your family and and for everything else you like to do. So where do you get most of your clients? Social media? Yes. Yeah. Um, most of my, most of my client base is on Instagram. Okay. Um, and lately I've been getting a few more clients on LinkedIn and okay. I'm, I think I'm showing up in Google because I do ask yeah. people when they, when they sign up with me, you know, how did you hear about me? And I'm seeing Google more and more. So yeah. the, Google, the Google gods are the Google you know, smiling on me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I had the same too. Like I, it was always Instagram for a while. And then recently I have, you know, couple website, you know, and I'm like, Ooh, and, um, and things like that. So it's nice to have, you know, the variety of people from all different places coming, you know, and seeing the value of your work. That must be really rewarding. Yes. Yes, it definitely is. Um, so I just want people to know that if they are looking for resume help, now you strictly only nursing or will you do any, you know, medical Um, professional? 
so I started off saying, you know, any medical professional at this point, pretty exclusively with nurses, nurse practitioners, and PAs, because okay. I do find that the NP and PA um, resume experience is very similar. similar. So I would, I would never turn away a PA. Yeah. I, I, I agree with you on that. Um, particularly, you know, in interviewing people for jobs were for the same position, you know, it's the same exact <laughs> that most of us are applying for. Um, and so that's nice to know that you're kind of focused on, you know, nurses and advanced practitioners. And that's a niche because I think unlike physicians who have more of a CV, that's like very boring. I've seen Dave's. I'm like, oh my God, this is like three pages long. And like, what is this? It's all out of order. I, I don't, it like makes me tense where ours are more, I think like resumes, you know? And, and so to have somebody that is kind of in that niche is super helpful and important. So um, I really appreciate you being here and sharing your guidance. Everybody, you can find her um, on Instagram, like she said, LinkedIn. Um, and reach out if you have any questions about your resume and you don't have to be a new grad either, right? No, definitely not. Yeah. So if you're applying for like, okay, one more question then if you're switching specialties or you're switching kind of like, if you were a nurse practitioner and you were in, you know, cardiology and now you're going to oncology, how do you deal with that? We missed the whole topic. Yeah. <laughs> it's tough. Um, I, it works out better when you have a reason why you want yeah. to switch. Yeah. Um, so in, you have to be able to communicate that reason why. Otherwise, people are going to read your resume and say, hmm, why does this person who's worked in cardiology want to work in oncology? So I think that it's totally doable mm -hmm. um, and it helps tremendously if you tell a story why, um, and even more so if you know somebody or have yeah. some sort of networking yeah. connection. Um, but yeah, you just have to acknowledge that you are pivoting um, yeah. and explain that somewhere in your application. Yeah. And I agree with that. I, I get that question a lot. Like how hard is it to go from something like cardiology to oncology to whatever? I mean, you know, when you're applying for a position, you have experience being a practitioner. So I yes. think that that's really, you, that is really important. You know, so even though you may not know anything about, you know, that certain specialty, you know how to take care of patients and that goes a long way, you know, and I think it's easier to kind of make that bounce over, you know, it takes less time to change. Obviously you have to do, you know, a lot of, a lot of, self-learning and things like that. But I don't think you should be scared of doing that, especially if you um, create your resume and, you know, like you said, in that statement or your cover letter, just really explain your story and why you want to change and not, that it makes it seem like you're not just applying willy-nilly, you know, because you didn't like your job. So, right. yeah. So that's really important. Um, well, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Um, you guys say thank you to Amanda. Go give her a follow. Um, try and get a really awesome resume. I may send you mine after this, um, but thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. Thanks for having me.